Did you hear that? Blog Talk Radio. I heard <laughs> you. Stroll through the picture. What I've left behind. You want again. I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know what you've done Good evening and welcome to the Stop Child Abuse Now show um, This is scan number 3255 That's 3255 um, Tonight it's going to be Lori and I running this show Lori Purcell, she's my co-host and um, we're going to be speaking about several different things, but first and foremost um, about uh, child abuse, of course, and what it does to a child, how to spot the signs, and what to do when you see the signs, and how it affects us into our adulthood and into our relationships. There's a lot to talk about. But anyway, okay, so first I'm going to read the uh, mission statement. We have a single list of purpose at NASCA to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, <clears throat> excuse me, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. And we do so two different ways. And number one is educating the public, especially as related to getting society over the taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse. Present the facts that show child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. And number two is offering hope for healing to numerous peers and providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. Now, within the next couple of weeks here, I might be running a few extra shows, and I will speak about prevention, intervention, and recovery. Um, I'll make it a topic night and, uh, because it's, it's, it's important. Okay, it's important. Prevention, if we would only, if the adults would only know more about prevention and care about the prevention, okay, the red flags, so that they could teach their children, then just maybe, I only say maybe, um, there would be a little dent, as I like to say, in the statistics of child abuse. I will be throwing out some statistics tonight. I, I did a lot of uh, study on that. I do a lot of research many times right before the show. So I know exactly where to tell you um, to get that information, okay? You can look it up yourself afterwards if you want, or during. I don't care. But anyway, the point is this. Um, child abuse is something that's been around forever and ever and ever, okay? And uh, it, it's a shame, and it destroys families. <clears throat> Excuse me. It destroys communities. It destroys everything. It destroys people's lives. And uh, where does this child abuse come from? 
well, a lot of it comes from home. I hate to say this, but it's the truth. And I'm certainly uh, an example of that. And uh, Lori's an example of it. Many people of NASCA are examples, like, uh, in my case, incest that happened at home. And in those days, oh, my God, you didn't even utter the word incest. It was too dirty, dirty, dirty. Well, it is dirty, (laughs) right? I'll go along with that. But on the other hand, it's something that is very prevalent in in families, okay, in the family structure. And um, I remember telling I remember telling my mother, and she said, oh, that happens in families, because I was being abused by my brother. And that's the answer I got. Now, a lot of people say it's a cycle. And in many cases, it is a cycle. Uh, In other cases, it's not a cycle, okay? But it's something that has to be stopped. It has to stop somewhere, okay? We're living in a very crazy world right now. I just saw a picture of Biden kissing some young girl, oh, my God, on the mouth. And I went, yuck, in great big letters, sorry. And a whole bunch of people were saying the same thing. Everybody's nuts. Um, with, with child abuse, that's something that I grew up with at the age of six. Um, Lori, I think, were you four? I don't know. Someone on the show was four. It started with the actual, you know, child abuse, getting punched and, and all this other stuff. And uh, so it, it happened. Yeah, you were thrown yeah. out the window. At what time? Four years old. Four years old. I knew four was in there. So you see, when when children are horribly, horribly abused like that, by the way, it wasn't a, a bottom floor window, okay? You should tell people that, Lori. <laughs> it wasn't a bottom floor window. Oh, it's a window. second story window. <laughs> there you go. That's, what, that's <laughs> I why I got hurt. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so, huh? So, um, you know, you know, so um we we have terrible stories all of us to tell. And uh throughout the years, I've been here 13 years, so throughout the years, I guess I've told my story, I don't know, maybe three or four times, something like that. Told my story many other places, churches. I actually got into churches. That was nuts. That was wild. Not a Catholic, though. Not a Catholic church, though, Lori. No. <laughs> they didn't want me there. But um, in other churches and um, and certainly the universities, um, a couple of them are right online here, um, if you go into the uh, the bios of us. But anyway, the point is this. Um, we have dedicated our lives. We're not getting paid. Okay. We dedicated our lives because we survived the abuse that we went through. We survived it. Um, Were we injured by it? You bet. Any child who has gone through any type of trauma, okay, whether it be sexual, physical, mental, emotional abuse, um, is going to have some sort of scarring. It's going to affect their brains. It's going to affect, you know, the way they think. It's going to be, affect their behavior. I could tell you stories that would curl your hair if your hair was straight, of things that I did. Um, many of us could. Um, it, it affects every part of our being, the way we rationalize things, our relationships with other people, um, how we feel about ourselves, um, this low self-esteem issues that we go through. Now, I've gotten to a point in my life where um, I don't care whether people like me or not. I don't. And, and quite frankly, a whole bunch of them love me to death. 
and I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> I really don't, because as I grew up, I didn't know about love. Uh, all I saw was violence, and uh, when a child sees nothing but violence in their life, um, they tend to become uh, many times uh, kids become juvenile delinquents, um, and, and they're very volatile themselves because they're so filled with hatred and uh, and all kinds of stuff and fear. Hatred and fear many times uh, go together, okay? So we're living in a world that um, certainly needs to be changed, and we can't worry about the whole world, but we can worry about our communities, very important, and, and how to teach people um, what signs to look for, because you may be saving a life, right? You may be saving a life. You can be someone's hero. You make a phone call. You've done your job. And we're all mandated reporters now, all throughout the country. There might be a couple states that are lagging behind, but we're all mandated reporters. Um, not in the same degree if you're a uh, – actually, they've added dentists onto this, too. Huh. I have to have a talk with my dentist. But anyway, <laughs> the, the point is this. Um, it's not just doctors or, or teachers that are mandated reporters. It's everyone. You don't have to give your name. I need to put this out there because people are always afraid of retaliation, especially in the urban areas. They're scared to death of retaliation. I get it. So you don't even have to say who you are, okay? Now, if the abuse is bad enough and you don't even want to deal in your area, you can always call the 1-800-4-A-CHILD number. I did that for one of my cases. Um, I've worked in the capacity of being a counselor in detox and also in a methadone clinic and, and outside of that. Um, the Raleigh Libraries program scared straight. I was the first lady they allowed in the building by a guy. That made me feel pretty good. And boy, were those guys grabbing at me. I was walking by cells and they were grabbing. Oh, my God. But anyway, it was like a zoo. I'm telling you, it was like a zoo. <laughs> That's what it was like. It was like a zoo. But anyway, the point is this. The point is this, children need help because there is so many, there are so many, so many people out there who abuse them. And yes, it basically starts at home in the family. Many times, more often than not, I hate to admit it. Now, we're not just talking about um, sexual abuse. We're talking about physical, mental, and emotional abuse and neglect now, all of these abuses, a lot of us have gone through all of them. I certainly have, and there's many others who have. I know what it's like to eat dog biscuits with the dog. I had to do that because my stomach was growling so bad I couldn't sleep. I know what that feels like, okay? I know what it's like to be around um, pedophiles. Had them in my family, see, in the family. So what people have to do, whether it be the police department, which I told them one night when I was giving them a presentation, look inside the family. Do do more um, investigating of the family people, the people in the family, because chances are, not all the time, of course not, but many times there's a, an abuser right there in the family. The family structure is broken. 
If a house has a crumbling foundation, the house is going to fall down. And if you have a family that is crumbling, the family falls apart. It's as simple as that. Now, you're going to get also a lot of people who are abusive on the outside. Many people get abused at home, and then they get abused outside also sexually. And I was through all that. And and physically, mentally, emotionally, what do we do? We're all scarred, broken people. People. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't heal because we can heal, all right? We can. Um, if you get help, if you get help with the right person, and there's nothing wrong with doctor shopping in this respect, okay? You find the right therapist. Um, or it doesn't have to be a therapist. It could be a counselor. It could be um, someone that you trust, okay? Um, you get the help that you need, and it doesn't happen overnight, the healing process, as we call it, the healing journey. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes a while. Look at all the years we went through abuse. So why would you, you know, heal like that? No, you wouldn't. And in the course of healing, you're going to have your days where you come out of therapy, whatever it is, um, feeling really high, feeling really good. And those are the good days of therapy. And then you're going to come out because you're taking a good look at yourself, too. Some of the things that I did when I was a kid, I knew I shouldn't be doing them, but I didn't care. This is what happens in families. If you don't teach your children well, and if they don't have people they can look up to in their families, then they're going to grow up, and they're going to end up going to juvie, which is one place that I worked at. And I knew the backgrounds of all of them, of course. And they came from dysfunctional homes like we do, right here on NASCAR. And a lot of people who are listening right now, okay? That's just the way it is. And then you hope that somewhere in there they get the help that they need. It's not going to be a juvie, okay? We had counselors there, of course. But there were too many kids, and it was locked down. They had cells. They didn't have bedrooms. They had cells. Because these kids committed adult crimes. Yeah. Where do you think they learned all that stuff from? Okay. Again, you have to look inside the family. And then, of course, their associates, who they hang out with, um, the type of people they are. And they all came from the same background. I never had one straight friend who was straight in the sense of not coming from abuse. We're like magnets for each other. This is what happens. I feel comfortable with them. I did. I couldn't speak like I speak today. I had to get on the healing process. And sometimes it's very uncomfortable. And that doesn't mean that you had a bad session. It means that maybe your your therapist had you look at yourself too, okay? Do you think you could have handled that situation a little bit different? That doesn't mean it's time to get a new therapist, it means that it's time for you to look at yourself also. We all make mistakes, and that's okay, as long as we don't kill someone. Now, I do believe in self-defense. If someone comes after me, I will defend myself. I believe in that. I had a girl ask me the other day, how come you wear so many rings? <laughs> well, some years ago, I got hit in the head. By brass knuckles, bang, bang, bang. 
I didn't go to the hospital. I was I, I was afraid they'd find something really bad in there. <laughs> I was more afraid of that than the lumps I had in my head. But I thought to myself, you know what? I love jewelry. I'm going to wear rings on every single one of my fingers. And if somebody comes after me, I can swap them. And I've got rings on every single one of my fingers. And it's legal. You see, there are ways that we can defend ourselves when we're out on the street. You can take your car keys and and put your car keys one key at a time in between, you know, your fingers with them extending out over the fingers, of course. And if somebody comes after you, you can take those car keys and you can go right across their face. Why do I tell you this? Look at the world we're living in. We have people out on the streets who are just coming after us for no good reason at all. Makes you scared to even go out. That's not fair, and it's not right, and it wasn't that way a few years ago, and I'll stop with that. Now, getting back to child abuse. One thing that, that really um, upsets me about child abuse is the uh, the feeling of loneliness that we have while we're going through the abuse, and why wouldn't we? I mean, who are we supposed to tell, okay? Um, a lot of children, then they become very withdrawn. And this is one thing that comes from psychology today. Um, this is a way that a person can sense that a child is in trouble. And it's from psychology today. I got it, this one today. It's a, a dramatic change in, in self-confidence in a child. If a child has been bouncy before and full of, of laughter and, and, you know, out bouncing around with the other kids, whatever they're doing, um, and then all of a sudden they become withdrawn and, and they hold their head down and they're looking at the ground, there's a reason for that, okay? That's one sign. Number two... Oh, it says social withdrawal. I covered both of them in, in one. Okay, social withdrawal. They'll want to stay, um, if the abuse isn't coming from home, they'll want to go home. Instead of, like, staying out with the, their friends after school, if they're allowed to, um, nearby their house or whatever, um, you know, and just hanging out, a lot of times they'll just go into the house. They don't want to be around people because they've been abused by someone. Okay. Um, they'll develop headaches or stomach aches. I had terrible headaches. I was eating pills, okay. Um, even some of the jobs I was eating pills, I'd have capsules and I'd, I'd get some of the granules out because I'm that counselor and I didn't want to sound stupid. <laughs> All right. So I was taking Ornade. That's what I was taking. That's what I was prescribed. And and um, so I and I would go into the conference room and I'd empty half of the pill out, and um, and I'd take it. And that way it wouldn't affect my working, and but it would help somewhat with the headaches. We're notorious for having headaches and stomach problems. Children who have been abused many times have these two problems, and more. All right, number four. Abnormal fears, increased nightmares, runaway attempts, may avoid certain people or places. We all have that, okay? 
Um, I developed terrible panic attacks, which turned into panic disorder. People say to me, Carol, what's the difference between panic attacks and panic disorder? Panic attacks are when you you go into, like, meltdown, and and, uh, you start to sweat, your heart starts to pound too hard, too fast. Gee, I have heart problems today. I wonder why, okay? Mine started at the age of nine and ended until 49. Didn't end until 49. That's a long time, Lori, 40 years. Of course, I was self-medicating. So, anyway, the point is this. So, disorder... The difference between panic attacks and panic disorder is when um, the panic overtakes your lifestyle. It can it can come in all different flavors, if you will. Maybe you won't want to be around a lot of people because you don't like people looking at you. Well, that certainly isn't my problem, is it? I can get up in front of a thousand if I have to. But at one time, I wouldn't do it. See? It was affecting my life. So that's what it can do. Um, nightmares. We all have had terrible nightmares. We've spoken about it on this show I don't know how many times. I've been here 13 years. So I couldn't tell you how many times. So evidently that's one thing that we all go through. Um, runaway attempts. Um, I ran away. I ran away to the streets. I didn't like what was going on at home. And a lot of us do that. May avoid certain people. Well, hell, I didn't want to sit with them at Thanksgiving time and Christmas time. No, thank you. I had to when I was a kid, but I didn't have to when I got older. See, we can make those choices when we get older. Let me tell you a little something about that. Many times people get mushy, you know, around the the holidays, Christmas time and Thanksgiving, and, and that's all normal. Nothing wrong with that, all right? But if you come from a home where it's toxic people in there, people maybe who abused you. When I was in the middle of a, um, a giving a presentation, someone raised their hand, and, and it was around Thanksgiving time um, because I also worked in the classrooms uh, throughout the years. But um, this gal raised her hand and she said, Thanksgiving is coming. I, I don't really want to go home and see those people because I have a couple abusers that are going to be there. And my answer to her was, because she wanted to know what she should do, and my answer to her was, don't go. She said, yeah, but then I'm missing out on seeing the other people. I said, see them the day before. Go over and help them make dinner. You know, spend time with them. Um, Whatever. Or the day after. Then go and have dinner. (laughs) All right, whatever. But um, it, it's easier sometimes because that brings forth a lot of fear. Here comes the fear again, the fear factor, as I like to call it. Um, if I had to look at those two monsters in my family on, on um, you know, on Thanksgiving, I'm supposed to be thankful for them? I don't think so. Hey, hey, Lori, were you thankful for the ones who abused you? Oh, God. <laughs> I wanted out as soon as I got in. That young. That's how bad it was. I knew it. Yeah. We have to well, get you out. See, you, you, you get that. It, it can actually trigger you. Think about it. How many times do we think of, and, and talk about triggers in, in, on this show? How many times? Um, 
something can happen. They say smell. You might have a certain smell. I don't have a nose, really. My nose got so damaged from a beer bottle. I don't, I don't have a nose, really. They put it back together well, though. Thank you. But um, but it can be a smell. It can be um, it can be anything. Um, maybe a certain look that a person gives you. Um, it can be anything. And you can all of a sudden get triggered, and you don't exactly know why. Well, if I were to see those two abusers, I had a lot more than two. Okay, so but if I saw those two abusers, I'd get triggered just looking at them. Okay. And I was scared to death of both of them, by the way. Absolutely scared to death of both of them. And that was ruling my life, too. Okay. So I had to tell the girl, it's far better to get away from toxic people. And if people in your family say to you, why aren't you coming? What's wrong with you? Maybe they don't know. Maybe you didn't tell them that uncle did this and brother did that, whatever. Um, what whatever the circumstances might be. Don't worry about what other people think. It is far better to get yourself out of a situation so that you don't suffer more because of them. Okay? And then when you feel like it, you can tell them. That's up to you. Maybe they won't believe you. How many times we've gone through that, Lori? Um, you try to tell someone that something had happened and they either don't care or they don't believe you, or they'll say, uh, well, maybe you brought it on yourself. I was told that when I was eight years old and kidnapped and raped in New York. Are you crazy? Yeah, they were crazy. Not me. I was a victim. But you see, we go through all of these things, and they alter our lives. And now it turns into a disorder. It can, like with panic or fear or whatever. All right, these things, this is what we go through. Okay, persistent anxiety or worrying about doing something wrong. Well, we're always told that we're, we're not smart people or whatever, whatever. And uh, so if we try to do something, we might do it wrong. So then we tend to shy away of even trying. I know, I've done that. Have you done that? Absolutely. If I don't get the... I try. I learned patience later in life, but it was if I didn't get it in the first place, that was just like it. I'm never going to hear it again. That was my goal. But I was, you know, torn apart real early in life, and I was anxious real early in life, and it never stopped. So, you have to live with it. And it, t- it takes a toll on your body. It takes a toll on your body, it takes a toll on your mind. You change your entire life. I mean, whatever you came in this world with, uh, when something traumatic happens to you, you don't develop into that person because your life's been altered in a negative way. So you're being abused and you're feeling all these horrible things um, that you can't stop having to do. In my case, our family uh, was exiled. Most of the family was in uh, the city. They saw us once a year. And we were on Long Island, and nobody talked to us. None of the neighbors talked to us. There was absolutely no one to tell. And everybody knew. Cops knew. School knew. Everybody knew. But nothing was done. So I, I had 
I had to endure it. I mean, I was the one who stayed through it. They called me the the intelligent child. They hated my brother. They hated my sister. Different reasons, but I was the only one who was able to calm a, a very violent man, a pedophile, down because he used to rage from the time he walked into the house one from work. So I was the one uh, who calmed him down. So, oh, my God, most of my life, even my grandmother died. She was 92. That was my job, and my job was to also guard my sister from him, from my brother, and then take orders from my psychotic mother who spent most of her life in the bed and when she did come out um, she was usually beating the crap out of me I mean even at four years old when I fell and for those two stories my brother threw me out the two stories it took her ten minutes to get out of her bed I know my brother ran into the house to get her I think he had a I don't know how bad he thought I was supposed to be maybe dead because I know I wasn't moving. Um, I remember hearing the, the door slam, and she picks me up. I just feel, she didn't say a word. Uh, nobody said a word, but um, I remember because I watched the cloud go from left to right. So I was down there a while, and I fell on a brick, a border brick in a garden that, you know, she made it look like garbage, but the brick was there. And I have a uh, C-spine from that brick, which moved all my other organs around. So my entire life, you know, from child abuse, neglect, and everything, and the circumstances of the isolation, um, like there was nobody to even think to tell. It was a total endurance. And, you know, uh, I am an older one now, and I could say I healed a lot. Uh, for an incest therapist for four years straight. And I have uh, education. I was managed to get myself into schools. I worked. And, you know, I was in pain all this time, but I managed to function at a low level. I wasn't outgoing. Um, the anxiety never stopped, and I'm 65 now. I actually have to take something to calm me down. But I don't know if that's, I know it's from, you know, birth and all what I had to go through. But I think hyperactivity and anxiety go together. You know, it's like you just do everything so quick. You can't stop as you get older. It's following me. (laughs) You know, old people, not, not old people, older people, since I'm there now, are supposed to, still be able to walk and talk and, you know, do fun things, go sightseeing and all that stuff. You know, my life was, it was taken away. I should have died in that two-story uh, disaster. I mean, she brought me into the into the kitchen, dropped me on the floor, opened up her arms, dropped me on the floor, and she began with her fist beating me on my back. I already knew the position to protect my head. And I'm thinking to myself, I didn't expect this. This is, like, really sick. But she had rage attacks, and I was the target, always. And then, you know, had to endure that. And uh, when she finished, she went back upstairs to her bed, yelling, go downstairs and do the laundry. (laughs) Meanwhile, I have a broken back. 
Well, thank God it didn't paralyze me. I was able to stand up, and I was so afraid of her that I actually got myself up to the stair, up to the downstairs staircase, and started to walk down the stairs with a broken back and broken up other stuff, too. And my head was crushed. Um, but I feared her so much because she was so violent. So she, she altered, every one of the family members altered my life. And to tell you the truth, since it's, you know, common for me, it was an everyday thing and my body reacted every day and I know it will react every day because of my, just my age. Um, I only partially turned into the person I was born, you know, to be. I have some good traits. Uh, that I was, you know, able to find. I had a couple talents in there that I didn't know at all, you know, until I got out of that crazy house. But um, circumstance, you know, with uh, being born, you know, babies always don't come out normal in mine. So it was apparently left in too long because it was born totally blue and lifeless. Um, I watched the clock. And and the two doctors, I mean, it was really bad. It was a bad scene. They came out with brain damage. So I had no time between caring for the crazy people from that house to now caring for a severely ill, mentally ill, and child who was very aggressive. And spent his first 15 years in and out of psych ward for various things. And finally I took him home because... All he was getting was abused, and enough was enough. It broke him, you know. So even though he has problems, he's still my kid. So the abuse, yes, it can take all over your body, alter everything about you and whatnot. But it doesn't have to stay that way. There's always an upside. When they find that gift, when that gift comes out, and I'm able to see my son now. I mean, he is on disability because of his problems, but he is very artistic. And I'm watching him transform himself to actually selling his work. And this That's is a great. kid they tell me to put away at six years old. This is that, that kid. This is every mother's dream. So everything that I went through, which I think prepared me for caring for a kid like this, because I'm partially crazy because I'm doing it, and I know it, I'm aware of it, but it's my choice. <laughs> He's my son, you know. So we took him on in a mountain. What am I going to do? <laughs> He's got problems and I'm not putting him away. And now with those problems and his age, he figured out and is figuring out more because he's a researcher and he will be selling his stuff, his art projects. You know, that's what will be his job. He helps feel self-worth so that cycle can go good downward you know even though he was abused he was abused so badly that oh my god it was so bad but here he is now at 40 and he's functioning like an intelligent person you know and he's doing something so it's not going to be uh, and he never did turn into a juvenile delinquent this one when he could have, because he's yeah. a, a big a big guy, 
know, he's just, I think his intelligence took over at some point. And he's now actually going to start running his own group of people. And this is a kid who would put tape over the camera and the computer because he didn't want the government watching him. You know? So as off as he is compared to whatever the norm is, I don't even think there is a norm. His family is, you know, some succeed even though others are being abused and the other way around. But since he's my only child, you know, he always had the attention. <laughs> so he, you can circle yourself even with every problem you have, there is something that can come out of you that is still good. And the work that you do and all you've been through, well, it's a fact. It's done. Uh, this is gonna. This is the reaction your body had to all the trauma you've been through. That part you have to accept and still live with. But in your head, you think better of yourself because we were all born as gifts. And there's a gift in everyone, a unique gift. Well, I think you're amazing. Thank you. I'm just me. No, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. There are a lot of people who would have folded, okay, if they weren't a strong person, a person with a good mind, okay. There are many of us on NASCA. Um, who've gone through so much hell. And all the things that people said that we weren't capable of doing, we've done, okay? And, and we've even done more things that we thought we were capable of doing. And I'm like, you're not there to show off Gilda, is that her name? <laughs> um, so, you know, who? Yeah, what kind of name yeah. is that? I don't and know. the other one is Zelda. What is with that? <laughs> <laughs> I had the faintest names. idea. I, 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 w- I wouldn't. Names. Look, my, my middle name is Debevoir. Now, why would someone name me that? All right, so <laughs> you're talking to That's the wrong weird. person. That. Yeah, it's but French. I like Carol. Carol I, yeah, well, Carol's a French name effect. too. People don't realize that they're both French. And um, but I, I found out things through ancestry. But anyway, the point is this: I'm Italian, I'm French, I'm Swiss, and German. German was the last. So anyway, that shows me I'm not a part of that family over there. But anyway, all right, so what I'm getting across here to you, what I'm getting across here to you, is your life, like many of us, have been living hell. You went to your own hell. You, you've known nothing but violence, too, from the sounds of it. That's the way I was brought up, too. And, and so many of us are brought up that way. We saw too much violence. Now, I did turn delinquent because I went out on the street. I ha- I, but I had people protecting me at the same time. Um, I was like the kid sister or something. I was lucky, all right? So, But then there are those that aren't lucky, and there are those that got trafficked out. I used to watch these girls being taken. I was younger than they were, and they were taken like, uh, I don't know, 12, 14-year-old girls, and, and boys too. Uh, this was down in the uh, Union, New Jersey area, okay? I saw this. I saw it with my own eyes. And um, they disappear over into the city, all right? That's where they were taken to them. A lot of them were going over there. And, um, you know, I mean, I saw things that kids should never see. A lot of us have, you know. And I was beaten all the time by my mother. She loved to beat me. 
She's always beat me in the legs. It's amazing that I was able to turn into an athlete because I had welts all over me and all this other stuff, and I was determined. See, I think we, we, you know, when we're abused horribly, we're either going to fold or we're going to get tough. Now, I consider you a girl that's tough, okay? I consider myself a gal that's tough. And I, I think that toughness, kind of kept us going, you know, when a lot of people were just playing four and stay down. I admit I tried to commit suicide once. I did. And um, the only reason why that didn't happen was because a friend that lived with us, we had huge houses. I'm in a 1,200-square-foot house now. This is tiny. I feel like I'm in one of those little tiny houses you see on TV. (laughs) They're building now. Oh, well. Um, the other houses were like mansions. So we had many bedrooms, many bedrooms. So my mother would let me, she would allow for me to have friends move in who were being thrown out at home. And then that way I wasn't alone because she wasn't going to talk to me. We had nothing to say to each other. I had no mother, I had no father. Simple as that. Okay, whatever. So um, I didn't care. I had my friends with me. But had my friend not come home that particular night from a bad date, yeah, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here because I meant business. I was 17, and I was tired. I felt like I was 90 because I'd been and seen through so much violence, and, and we had guns all over the place. But like I've said before online, I will say it again, they were hunters. They moved from New York City because everybody was born over there, and, and they came over to New Jersey, and I was born upstate. And then ended up out in uh, Staten Island. But the point is this. They wanted to be hunters. So guns were everywhere. They weren't even put away half of them, were they? They were just laying around. But not one would ever pick up a gun when they'd get into their battles. And, and they were all alcoholics. <laughs> you know, I'm standing there watching all this. And, um, but you see, they didn't pick up the gun. They would fist fight instead. You ever see the old movies in the 30s and 40s? They get in a fight in the city. You're you're from the Bronx, so you should know this. And then they get in the city. Yeah, right? And they they go punching each other in the head (laughs) and all this other stuff. And uh, it didn't have to be a gun. It was like their fists were their weapons, all right? So, um, you know, that's how it is. Either you're going to pick the gun up or you're not going to pick the gun up, okay? It's as simple as that. You're either going to be someone who's going to pull a trigger or you're not going to be pulling a trigger, right? So these people who are growing up and growing up and on the street and they're out there shooting all over the place, a lot of them had been in mental you know, institutions, unfortunately. I have to put it this way. Unfortunately, our mental institutions, one that I, which I had worked in also, closed down. We had over 12,000 in the United States alone, of those type of facilities where people were housed, either in hospitals or satellite divisions of. Now we only have like a few thousand. They keep getting closed down even more. It had been far, but I think it's down to like 3,000 something. I don't know. That's not enough because, unfortunately, there are a lot of mentally ill people out of there for whatever reason. Some are schizophrenic, others are murderers, they're sociopaths, they're psychopaths, you know, they're borderline personality disorders, uh, all these other things. And and um, 
and they need to be away from their families because the families don't know how to handle them. And uh, maybe a lot of the grief came from their families and they went nuts. Who knows? I don't know. I know that you can. So, you know, what happens is they ended up out in the street. So that's why we're having all these problems. One of the reasons, one of the reasons why we're having all these problems out on the street is because the mentally ill have no place to go now. Okay? So this this is a, a big, bad problem. Now, I want to ask you something because a few minutes ago you said that your son was being horribly abused. I saw people being abused and I turned them into the state. That's what I did. And then I had to quit because I was told by a supervisor that they could not guarantee me my safety. I told you that story. I'm not going to or on the, on the radio. But I decided my life is worth more than, than working here. I can get another job. <laughs> All right, so I gave it two weeks after that happened, and I left. Now, I know how that kid was uh, horribly abused on one of the wards that I worked on. I, I didn't see it, but I heard it. He just got out of the hospital, and they beat the hell out of him. Why? Okay. So I made sure that they uh, got their just due. Now, what happened with your son? He was raped at six years old. They roomed him with a 16-year-old pedophile. This was at Schneider's General Hospital, the Children's Hospital. Which, believe it or not, I still donate to them. The other ward, not the psych ward. They're on my list. And then he had his teeth broken, both front teeth broken at another one, St. Saint Mary's or something like that. It was next to it, the boys' part. Uh, first black eye, they actually had a... His whole eyelid turned colors, which I've never seen. They used to beat the crap out of him. He was covered from head to toe with black and blue marks. And over the years, a conference came to be, and one of the mothers had started Children's House. I think her name was Marianne Rossetti. So she started Children's House, and she wanted me to be on the ground floor with her, but I'm like... I've got my son to take care of, but babysitters don't exist in my life. But she was able to do it because they existed in her life. And at that conference, the first thing she came over to me, and she says to me, I stayed on the ward uh, at night with her son, who was an older kid, and she said that the security people and the people on staff were beating the hell out of your son. They treated him worse than an animal. Oh and there was this, this one nurse that looked exactly like Gilda. Actually shut the door, slammed the door on his finger, his hand. I mean, anything that went... I mean, and then the third one, you know, they kept, like, raped him again. He almost had to have surgery. That's how bad it was. And this is a kid who doesn't communicate because of his mental problems in the first place. And then <laughs> I find out he one day just says to me, when I was like taking a mat, and he says, 
The reason I didn't talk to you about all this was because I didn't think you were smart enough to understand me. This was his whole attitude through school. This is what the problem was with him. Oh, my God. He's he's very full of himself, but it is true. Anything that he, this kid is something else. His IQ on, this is the only thing I could say good about Gilda. She had brains. She had degrees herself. She skipped grades in school. She was one of those. So once he started talking, you know, you know, and told me what was going on, I took him right out. I said, that's it. It ends. I said, and then that lost, of course, every staff member because I'm, I'm taking him in the hospital. So I had to become every staff member. He used to follow me up until the bathroom door. He would not leave my side because of what happened to him. You know, from everything. I mean, it was like worse than having a puppy around. But I understood him. He was a changed person. Right. So, yeah, sometimes you got to do the things other people wouldn't do because Mm -hmm. they're your son. There were people like me. Well, one other person, they said that most parents divorce and the kids become wards of the state. And on that ward, that particular ward over all the time, that is what what happened. It's actually what happened. They couldn't believe the people that were coming through them. And I knew them all, you know, because I was there with them. You know, it's like I, I get to share. I mean, they weren't always acting out, so I got to share the good qualities. And the girls, the older girls, I mean, they loved my son. Everybody, the teachers loved my son. In the beginning, I was like, I don't know what it is about you, kiddo. Why don't I see that for you? So I waited 40 years. I waited 40 years for this kid. When I moved him to the mountain and everything left, just for him to say, thank you, Mom, for everything you did for me. I love you. 40 years I waited. So you know what? Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to just say, because at least, in fact, I picked up on that. I think it was a a few weeks ago I had said that to you. Um, I know that there is a a love connection between you and your son. It may be something that had to take years to cultivate because he had all kinds of problems, and then he was going through hell. See, they say that that kids who are in, you know, hospitals such as his, you know, that are disabled and and all this other stuff, they're very, very likely to get abused one way or another. The stats on that show that. I was looking at that just the other night, the stats. And and they they mentioned that when children, you know, um, are in hospitals where they're disabled and all this, um, the, the sexual attacks on them, is far greater than like a, a child who's in a hospital who has maybe, I don't know, I'm just going to use this, polio or something, you know what I'm saying. But the ones who are disabled, they're the ones that they're going to go after because they feel like they can't, you know, defend themselves. And no one will believe them anyway because they have certain conditions and they'll think, oh, they're just making that up, okay. If they do a physical, though, you just said something. You said that your son that your son almost had to have surgery because of what happened to him. 
true story. True mm-hmm. story. It's yeah. that true story, and he got the doctor that he hated him, and the doctor hated my son, but he had a operation on him. <laughs> you know, I was mm. put in positions of medical stuff that I should never have been put into, but these people don't didn't know how to deal with someone like my son. You know, if there were more people like you, you know, maybe giving courses, presentations, or even actual that they should have to know that not everybody reacts normally. There are handicapped people, and this is what you have to do with them. Yes. So that's another area to get into. Absolutely. Because you see, those people, the handicapped people, the ones who have all kinds of disabilities of whatever, you know, form, that are hospitalized, they are the first targets. It's just like when Michelle was on, she wouldn't mind my saying this. You know what I'm going to say, but people out there who maybe didn't hear it. A friend of hers that she looked at as a mother was in a nursing home. And uh, she was, uh, I think she was 90 years old, if I remember right. And um, this attendant, or this nurse, it was a male nurse, it was a male nurse, was raping her. Are you nuts? And she wasn't the only one. This sicko psycho went around and was the ones that couldn't speak, the ones who were mute, okay? They couldn't speak. Um, you know, he would get a hold of them too. There were several others. They found this out after um, Michelle realized that uh, her friend, who was actually like a mother to her, because her mother wasn't a mother, so she found this lady down the street and she treated her like a daughter. So naturally, she's going to see her in the nursing home. And by the way, this was a very ritzy nursing home. Okay. So this this man, this male nurse, decided to make her another victim. So you see, you have to watch out when people are in nursing homes or in special schools. I had received today. Um, I was thinking about getting a part-time job on top of all of this, a part-time job. That's it, because I don't want anything messing with my what I get on a monthly basis, you know, from Social Security. You can only make a certain amount of money. So um, I would work part-time. But they wanted me in the social services, you know, to work, um, you know, as a counselor with these people. Methany, the Methany Hospital, I think it's called Methany. I can't quite say it. But anyway, I received this notification. So... Um, The point is that these hospitals where kids or adults, you know, have certain types of disabilities where they can't speak, they can't fend for themselves, or maybe they're too old like this lady who was 90 years old, they become targets. Targets for those sicko psychos, that's what I call them, because that's what they are, the sicko psychos. I had to tell people the other day who had a son who um, is a perpetrator. He's a teenager, a late teenager. I think he's 17 or 18 now. He's 18, I think. And he would be charged as an adult. But um, he's not going to get better. You go around sexually abusing younger kids, you do that. That's because you have it in you to do it, Okay. And even with those teenagers in that Avalon house I told you about down there in uh, South Jersey, 
they could not give me any numbers of any kids who were healed all right, from, you know, being there. So, you see, it's their brains aren't right. <laughs> There's, you can't fix something that can't be fixed, okay? If a person is not normal and you can't make them normal, by the, the 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 by the ways that we usually do, okay, and they're not going to be normal. They're never going to be normal. That's just the way it is, and people have to accept that. So, ooh, my screen went black. I was looking at the wall. Hold on, I got it. <laughs> let me let me go on with this. I could talk to her all day, all day and all night. I swear to God. But anyway, she's so interesting. All right. Um, another thing too. Um, many times I went through this. I had my son make up a song. Um, he's a musician. He's very good. And um, he's lead guitarist and, and also his uh, who plays uh, the other guitar. He, um, he's, he's been with the Rolling Stones, for God's sake. So, yeah, they're talent. But it says here, sexual possible sexual abuse signs, self-injury. How many times do we speak about that? Self-injury. That's cutting. Burning. Um, many times, I had a friend that did that. She was cutting and burning her skin. Now I didn't know she was being abused at home. It was. It wasn't sexual abuse. It was other types of abuse. Okay. They, but she did look at her body as being repulsive, and it's it's mentioned here too that um, people, um, you know, who have been sexually abused. This is focusing on the sexual abuse. Um, many times look at their bodies as being repulsive or dirty, okay? They suffer terribly. And I thought I was dirty because I was being so sexually abused. And and when I would get in the shower, I, I would scrub my skin so hard that it would almost bleed, all right, because I felt dirty. I went through years of that as a teenager. All right, depression, anxiety, suicidal ideations, okay, another one. Ideations, what does that mean? You may know because I've spoken about it. But a person who has suffers from suicidal ideations concentrates, thinks about suicide all the time. They may or may not try it, but they want to. They want to kill themselves. They want to, they want to escape. That's the ultimate escape. So they... Think about taking pills. I mean, I went through this. My friends went through it, a few of them also. And we would sit around, and, and instead of talking girl talk about all the cute guys out there, <laughs> and I do like my guys, yes, I do. But, um, you know, we would talk about killing. Well, if you were going to kill yourself, Joni, Joni finally did. If you were going to kill yourself, how would you do it? And she would say, well, Carol, you pop pills, and you drink, uh Carol, you know, you could die from that. She said, I'd probably do it and do it right. So when I was popping pills and drinking, I wasn't trying to kill myself. I was trying to kill the pain that I was going through, but I wasn't trying to kill the rest of me. But she had a point. Okay. So her way out would be taking a whole bunch of pills, all right, and maybe drinking with it. So suicidal ideations is something that um, a person just, instead of thinking about the pretty things of life or doing good things or changing themselves, um, don't forget we have to change ourselves before we can heal. Yes, it's all right to understand. In fact, you have to come in touch with the pain that you went through as a child. 
and that can carry over into adulthood, picking poor partners, okay? I didn't know how to pick poor. I didn't have anyone to look up to when I was a kid, so I made two mistakes in playing English. I really did. One was worse than the other. Number one was the worst, first marriage. But the point is that um, even during that time, when I was being beaten by him, oh, my God, I just wanted to die. I wanted to die. I wanted to pop pills. I wanted to pop pills. Too many pills. So that's the ideation part of it. That's what it means. That's what it means, the ideation. You sit around and you actually think of ways how you would do it if you did it. Okay. I did slice my wrist once, but that's it. And that's when I got caught that time by my friend, which I've spoken about. Okay. Um, Fear of intimacy. Okay. Um, A lot of people who are sexually abused, again, this is focusing more on the the sexual abuse of people. Um, When you've been horribly abused as a child, you know, it can start at any age, this abuse, we know this, as far as... uh, physical, mental, sexual, emotional, neglect, all of it. Um, if you go through it, if, if it's a repetitive type of thing, if you suffer trauma, and if the trauma is too bad, um, then what happens is you may not want to, um, you know, be intimate with someone. You might go just so far and then say, go away, boop, boop. <laughs> because a fear factor, there's that fear factor again, it comes in, and that's from the past. That's from when we were children, all right, growing up. And we would have monsters, as I like to call them, because that's what they were, you know, um, you know, abusing me sexually. And it leaves a scar in your brain and in your heart and in your spirit. I have so much love in me, Lori. I'm a very loving person. And, and I love to love deeply when I love. But on the other hand, don't piss me off. <laughs> okay, because um, I think what happens is what kept me so tough all those longs was all, also anger at all the people. Of course, why wouldn't we be angry? Why wouldn't anybody be angry who is sexually abused? Our rights have been taken away from us. Our spirits have been broken. And if it's a family member that we loved, our hearts are broken too. Hmm? We can't go to that person anymore. And then when Thanksgiving comes around and Christmas comes around and some of those other holidays come around, you don't want to be with them because the fear factor sets in. You have fear, you have flight, you have fright. And then you have fawn, F-A-W-N. We don't talk about fawn. I know what fawn is. I learned that years ago. Many times, and you'll see this if you know someone who's like this, you'll spot it. Um, another thing that people will do other than freezing or fleeing or fright or whatever um, is fawn, and that's F-A-W-N. And what that is is you become a people pleaser to the degree that it's it's really just way out there. Because you want to be loved. You see, you're missing the love that you didn't get when you were a kid. So then you turn it around and, and you do that, okay? You can turn into a workaholic. You can. Some of those workaholics out there, I'd love to know some of their past. Yes, I would. Because that's another way of masking, okay, the pain is turning into a workaholic. 
And then, two, if you're a workaholic, people will say, wow, look at all that he or she is doing. Whoa, they're fantastic, all this other stuff. And that's another way of trying to get people to admire you, and not in a narcissistic way. I'm not speaking about that. But to admire you in the sense of your accomplishment, you're like, wow, look at what she can do. Look, look how, you know, this, this, that, whatever. And some people, that's fawning, F-A-W-N. That's fawn. A lot of us have a little bit of that in us, okay, because we were stomped on so badly as children and made to believe that we were not going to be anything or we were not going to turn into anything because we weren't smart enough. Okay. I mean, what could we possibly turn into? And then all of a sudden we get a little bit older and you feel, whoa, I can do this and I can do that and I can do this and I can do that. You know, and, and it's like a, it's like Christmas time, one of the best Christmas you ever had because all of a sudden you realize, hey, I am a person. I can do things. And I am smart, very smart. So you see all these people who stomp on us when we're children, they take away our dignity. They take away um, any self-esteem that we have. They take away our hopes and our dreams. And this is why pedophiles slash sex offenders, remember there's three categories, okay? You have those who like the infants. They're called a certain name. And then you have the pedophiles. That's their name. And then you have the hebophilias or whatever they are. That's their names. who like the teenage girls. So there's three different categories. You can find that too if you look it up. So when you have those three different categories, and say you're going through it from early as a child, and then you get a little bit older, and you're still going through it when you get older still, I mean, you're not going to have any self-esteem at all. You're crushed. And that's why when you know of a person who is sexually abusing someone, and that's only one of the abuses, the others seem to follow anyway, most of the time. Um, you turn their asses in, okay? Because, and I want them to get, and we're fighting for this, not a slap on the hand. I don't care if they haven't been caught before. The crime has been committed. A crime is a crime. It's crimes against children. And when you do all that, that damage to a child so that they can't function, Okay, and become, like you said long ago in the conversation, you know, who you were meant to be. You have trouble reaching that goal. First, you have to recognize who you were meant to be. I know I belong on the radio. I have a big mouth, okay? And, you know, I like my big mouth, <laughs> okay? So and I love doing presentations because I'm good at it. I'm good at it. I, I can do these things. So uh, it makes me feel good. <laughs> it's better than taking a drink, right? <laughs> or popping a happy pill. There you go. <laughs> or snorting something or sort of smoking something. Hey, all i got to do is open up my mouth and start talking. I feel good, honey. I feel good. Yes, I do. So, okay. <laughs> and, and I'm helping people, and that makes me even feel better. So, you see, we have to come to the point, though, where we get to the age that all the crushing that other people have done to us 
it doesn't have to define. That's what word comes in so often. It's being used so much today. It doesn't have to define who we are anymore because we are so much more. You see, we are so much more. Okay. So we got over the intimacy part there, too. Okay. Now I want to read a little bit about stats because I just looked them up not too long ago. Let me see here. Which one I wanted to do? Child abuse and domestic violence. Wow. All right. Children in homes with um, where there's so much violence, okay, and are physically abused or seriously neglected or at a rate of 150-some-odd more times. And that, that's, just, that's very, very minuscule. And they say that it's minuscule. Um, of... Um, that that's they're just gonna that the, the the they're gonna turn into people who are broken. There's no way of getting away from it. Okay, if you come from homes like that, you're gonna have so many broken areas that need to be fixed. Okay, that's number one. Um, the World Health Organization. This is from 22, so it's pretty you know current right there. World Health Organizations globally, it is estimated that up to a billion children. Ages 2 to 17, now this is worldwide, right, billion, all right, 2 to 17 years old have been physically, sexually, or emotionally abused or seen and been a part of violence in the past year. In the past year. So this is a yearly thing. Now, mind you, this is globally. That's part of our mission statement. This is not in our country. This is globally, all right? Violence against children has lifelong impacted on our health, our well-being, and our families, our communities, and our nations. It can result in death because of homicide, people going out killing, you know, killing people. And, uh, and it also involves weapons, of course it does. It leads to severe injuries because of physical fighting and assault. Now, that's what our kids are turning into. This is disgusting, okay? Um, it impairs brain and nervous systems and, and development. Exposure to violence at any age can impair brain development and damage um, other parts of the nervous system. Well, yes, it can, and yes, it does. Children exposed to violence at home can suffer from PTSD. Now, for a long time, the DSM didn't want to look at, D, you know, at PTSD for what it is, but now they are. You have to have certain criteria. So you have to meet their criteria. There, there are things that they put down. You know, you have to suffer from anxiety. You have or is it panic attacks. That's in there. You can be bipolar. Uh, bipolar many times it goes along with it. Um, there's all different things that they put down, but you have to have five. We on NASCA have a lot more than five, honey. So we would be, uh, you know, if we were going to go for disability or whatever, we would actually make it. Now, this is interesting. 30% of abused children grow up and abuse their own children, and that's where the cycle comes from, 30%. 8% of 21-year-olds who were abused as children met the criteria for at least one psychological disorder, at least one. 
So you see, this is why abuse does to kids. I mean, 30% of the children, of all of we children who have been abused, grow up and abuse our own children, at least 30%. And that's for the cycle. 80% of 21-year-olds who were abused as children met the criteria for at least one psychological disorder, at least one. So child abuse is nothing to sniff at, okay? And I really wish uh, that um, people that people would look at it in, in, in a different way, you know, because they're not taking it seriously enough, Lori. And still we have our kids that end up hurting people inside the family. Maybe terrible fights happen. That's why the police are called. There's domestic violence going on. Maybe maybe it's the parents who are turning on the children. It could be either or or a combination of. They never know what they're walking into. They don't get the, the gratitude that they deserve or the recognition because they don't know what they're walking into. They just simply don't. Now, you can download the National Statistics for Domestic Violence Fact Sheet. It's F-A-C-T, Sheet, Fact Sheet. And it says on an average, nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States. During one year, this equals to more than 10 million men and women. They're finding out, Lloyd, that women are can be real stinkers, <laughs> okay? It's not just the men. It can be women, too. It can be. I think the women One handle th- it differently. Nastily, if that's the word. They get nasty, the women. The men yeah. just actually, just a short, brief, you know, I'm going to beat the crap out of you or, or kill you with a gun, knife, whatever. But women do get nasty. They're nasty. They do. <laughs> I agree with you. My stepfather was afraid of my mother. Anything could happen that was bad in the family, and he was scared to death of her. And so when she passed away, because he was quite a bit younger than she, so she went first. She still lived to be 87, though. So she went first, and he told me all kinds of things that I didn't know but I somewhat suspected some of them. I tried not to see them too often, all right, <laughs> whatever. So, uh, but I, I knew no matter what he, what she say, he'd sit there and go, yeah, yeah. He was Danish, so he didn't say yes or yeah like we do. He says, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so don't forget, this is a guy I met, and he had wooden shoes on and long blonde hair down to his shoulders, and it wasn't the hippie time yet. He was a funny guy. But I think that's pretty outrageous um, how many kids and and people. And this equates to more than 10 million women and and men. Okay, 10 million. Wow. Okay, number two. One in four women and one in nine men experience severe intimate partner physical violence. Intimate partners control sexual violence. I believe that. And or intimate partner stalking with uh, impacts such as injury, fearfulness, post-traumatic stress disorder, use of victim services, um, contact, oh, yeah, they get sexually transmitted diseases, and then they bring them home to their wives or their other partner, whatever. Nice. So I, 
see, this is what happens. You have these people out there that, uh, you know, they can't control themselves, and um, they're either physically violent inside of a, a relationship. Think about the kids who see this, if there are kids. Think about the single mothers, okay, all of a sudden they're single. I went through that. And I had a real nut with me, and I didn't know it until. And I went to school with him. I've told, I spoke about that on the air uh, a couple months ago. He turned into a real nut. You never know people, all right. You think you know them, but you don't really know them unless you live with them for a long time. And so there's a lot of sexual violence or intimate partner stalking. What does that mean? That means that if a girl goes out, a woman goes out. And she wants to be with the girls for the night. There's nothing wrong with the girls going out and being with the girls for a night if the relationship is solid. And the same thing with the guys. If the guys want to go out and shoot pool, I used to tell Marty, hey, the pool hall's down the hall, you know, down the, not the hall, but down the roadways. Go. Go shoot pool. <laughs> right? There's nothing wrong with that in a relationship if the relationship is is good enough. Nothing wrong with it. If you have a relationship, now here's another, we were sort of up and down, up and down with Marty and I, all right? We had some good times, we had a lot of bad times. So, okay, one out there will outweigh the other. But the good times were very good. And if he wanted to go out and shoot pool with the guys, I certainly didn't say no, and I didn't go stalking over there to see if he was really there and, and not with a girl or something. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's what they're talking about here. But the stalking. And then, two. If you do break up for whatever reason, um, there's types of people who are going to stalk the other one, whether it be the male or the female, to see what they're up to. I know of someone who's going through that right now, and so do you, okay? And it's stalking. Stalking can be a very dangerous thing. It can be. Because that person can turn very, very volatile. Okay. So it's not looked at as it used to be. Years ago, they say, ah, he's a stalker or she's a stalker or he's a peeping Tom. Uh, yeah, hello, or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, now they're looking at it a little bit more seriously because there's been trouble, too much trouble. And then you have those that, you know, they go out, they run around, and they get the sexually transmitted diseases. They come home and they give it to their partner. Isn't that nice? Okay. One in three women and one in four men have experienced some form of psychological violence by an intimate partner. Okay. This includes a range of behaviors such as slapping. Now, this is considered abuse. Slapping, shoving pushing, and in some cases, this is considered domestic violence. A hard shove, for instance. You, you push someone hard enough, and they fall, they lose, they lose their balance, and they hit their head. Hey, sorry. That's, that's abuse. And it's considered domestic violence. A very hard hand slap. See, people don't look at things in the right way. A very hard hand slap. Um... That's abuse, too, especially if it results in injury. If you punch a person in their jaw, you're going to break their jaw. That's injury. One in seven women and one in 25 men have been injured by an intimate partner. One in ten women have been raped 
by an intimate partner. And data is is unavailable for men victims. See, that means women are raping men. I don't know. (laughs) Wow. Okay, so that means, okay, that's something to consider, though. One in ten women have been raped by an intimate partner. See, people, they think if you're in a relationship and your partner, you know, forces himself or herself on you, um, that it's okay because your partners, maybe your husband and wife, it's not okay. It's a lack of respect. It's bullying. There's a lot of things that it is. It's rape. It can be rape. And people don't look at it that way. But they're starting to look at it that way, Lori. Okay. Because like we we keep saying, no means no. Well, if we're going to say no means no, and we have a partner who's going to force himself on you, then um, that's, that's not right. That's abuse. And some might consider it rape. So they're working on that in the, in the eyes of the law. But what I, what I like looking here, too, is because this happens so often with the slapping, the shoving, the pushing, People don't look at that. They don't realize that that's like a precursor, if you will, before you get your head smashed with a baseball bat or something. If someone's going to slap you around, they're a dangerous person. You need to get away from them. And and shoving, if they're shoving you all around the house or whatever, that too is a dangerous person. And people don't look at it that way. And then all of a sudden, the stats on domestic violence have skyrocketed. They're so high. It's disgusting. And those people, a lot of them have been slapped, shoved, pushed, whatever. And they think, oh, it was just a shove. Oh, it was just a slap. You know, so often women are very, very, uh, are the ones that mostly act to do this. If their boyfriend or their husband you know, uh, they get into a fight, and, and they shove them around a little bit and, and, and maybe slap them in the head or something. Oh, well, I I survived it. I can take it. You know how many times I've heard women say that? I can take it. That's stupid. I think I would, if, if I got hit in the head today by someone, I'd go smack them right back. <laughs> That's just the way I am. And I'd probably use a baseball bat or something. I don't know. Because um, we were not put on this earth, any of us, male or female, to be abused. None of us. So if we allow ourselves to be abused, then we're saying that it's okay and it's not okay. Now, Lori, you're very quiet. Yeah, because you're very interesting. Well, I'm glad I'm interesting, but I just want you to realize that these things are a no-no, okay? It's like the yeah. beginning. It's the beginning. <laughs> you're talking about me. <laughs> I no, know I'm it. not. Well, yeah, I don't. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not in your house, but I pick things up. I have a way of doing this. I, I get yelled at yeah, because I, I do have a way of picking things up. Couple states over doesn't matter to you. Well, <laughs> you know, 
I've been through it all too, honey, okay? And, and it all starts out many times with a shove or a push or a slap, okay? It starts out that way. And if you don't put your foot down at that time, I didn't either, all right? So it turned from a, a to a punch, went from slapping to punching. This is what happens. And this is why you have to, you know, people have to learn. We're not punching bags. I got Marty one of those, those things you hang from the ceiling, a big one, because he had such a temper. And we put it up in the attic. We had a big house. We had a um, Victorian house in, in Dover. And uh, so we had it up in the attic. Mm-hmm. And I'd tell him when he was, like, in bad humor, go upstairs and hit your, your bag up there. Go, 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 go punch it. And he, he did. He would go up there. He had uh, boxing gloves and everything. And he'd go up there and he'd punch the hell out of it. And he'd come downstairs, and he'd feel better. He'd feel better. Yeah. My son's got one of those bobs. Thank God. I would be dead by now. That's right. And so would I. <laughs> okay, I get it. <laughs> I get it. We have to go okay. to speak to each other in another universe. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, God. The things that we go through, the things that people go through, it's just unbelievable. But they have to put things in the proper perspective, okay, in the sense that if you are getting shoved around out there, if you are getting pushed, that that means something. It absolutely does. So, you know, you better start thinking about it if you're in a relationship, especially if you're not married yet or anything, okay? Look, I'm never getting married again. I screwed up twice. That's the way I look at it. I don't I don't want to make mistakes again, even though I'm I'm a lot more educated now and, and all this other stuff. I still would probably and many times that comes from the past. It's like something that's set in our brains and it's twisted, you know what I'm saying? And and we can't mm-hmm. quite get through it. And a lot of these guys and women okay, I gotta put the women in there. Um, a lot of these people, let's put it that way, um, can seem very charming, very smart, very articulate. Um, a lot of things that would draw you to this person, to this individual. And then like the narcissist, when they get a hold of you, honey, oh, yeah, they've got you. And it, when a person is too good, Lori, watch out. That was my first husband. He take me to New York because he knows I'm from the city and I love city. And I, I don't like the country. Sorry. And then you moved over to the country. Well, I probably didn't like the Bronx either. But I, I like the Brooklyn area and I love Coney Island. I did. I was hanging out there all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I did. You know, I had a I had a good time. Okay. So, um, but he would take me. My first husband would take me. Um, the one that had the bike that I loved so much in the Indian, and, and he could sing. He could sing too. We had so much fun, and and you know it was so good. And we'd go to these French restaurants, and and he'd pull the chair out for me. He he'd open up the car door for me. What other guy does that? I didn't know any guys like that. I thought I died I went to heaven. <laughs> well, he I thought that. I died. In, I thought I died and went to heaven, and I almost did a couple times because of him, after he had me, all right? (laughs) Oh, no. So there has to be, like, middle ground, middle ground, you know, have respect for each other. Yes, do for each other, but don't overdo. Well, you'll be like Paul, my first husband. He's dead, so he doesn't care. He can't hear me. 
I don't think he can anyway. He left, he left his body to science. Can you imagine that? And I'm thinking to myself, here's a guy that drank and did all kinds of stuff. What part on him would be good? <laughs> he left his body to science. I don't know. And I wasn't with him at the time, so I don't know exactly when he died. I couldn't tell you. Yeah, but, I'm talking about him. I could make a story up with Paul And it was so funny Because he was actually a very, very talented, funny person He truly was But um, he was a psycho And because I grew up around psychos And I was probably a psycho too at one point I don't know Maybe I still am a little bit, who knows But you know, like, he was truly a psycho And um, he had no empathy we were walking down the street in New York, okay? We're in the Broadway area. And this guy, this guy had a blade in his chest. He had a blade in it. And it didn't even phase him. I said, we've got to get him help. He said, keep walking. I said, the man has a blade in his chest. Keep walking. I kept walking. You see? No empathy. So when people lack empathy, too, watch out, baby, okay? So that's Mama Bear talking tonight. <laughs> i got to get off because we got our 90-second cue. 60 seconds. No, it's 60 seconds. So anyway, thank you so much for being with me all the time. You're my co-host. I love you. You're like a sister. And, um, yeah, true. You, know, you, well, you know, you Well, you do a darn good job. Yes, you do. You're very smart, Lori. You are. Thank you. I'm going to close the show now, and I'll talk to you later, okay? You got it. it. Okay, honey. Bye-bye now. Good night, everybody. Good Good night. night. Okay. Okay.